Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 50. And also there's a message outline right out the center doors there, right at the ministry counter. What I want to do, I want to continue in our series that I didn't know. What I've been doing in this series so far is talking about a major thing that's usually pertaining to our walk with Jesus. And then start off with the minor thing that usually relates to our church and uh, kind of how we walk with Jesus and stuff like that too. And, and the minor thing that I want to deal with today that I didn't know that we're not a Republican church. Or I didn't know that we're not a Democratic church. Or I didn't know we're not an independent church or whatever name you want, whatever political party that you, you assign yourself to. See, as soon as we identify ourselves with a political party, as soon as we uh, raise that banner, that political party, we block people from coming and seeing Jesus, right? We can't do that. We can't do that. We can never put a stumbling block in front of people seeing Jesus. And so some people believe that one day, that either by executive order or by the Supreme Court, they're going to allow pastors kind of speak from the pulpit and kind of talk politically and, and kind of say what they think about politics and all that kind of stuff. If that ever happens, I don't think it's really going to change what we do at Crossroads at all because our calling is so much higher than that, isn't it? So much higher. Political parties come and go. And while you may attach your name to some political party today and be proud of it, in five years from now, you can be ashamed, right? But listen, you will never be ashamed by attaching your name to Jesus Christ, will you? We will never, amen? We will never be ashamed by attaching your name to his name. It doesn't mean that we won't talk about some really important issues. But those issues, those issues are issues that God talks about in Scripture, right? Like how we take care of the poor and our definition of marriage. And also the sanctity of life and when it begins and we're on our life throughout life. And how do we treat one another? We're going to talk a lot about those things, but those are things that God talks about, is it not? It's not that, it's not that I don't have strong political opinions and on certain issues. I certainly do. But I don't think it's right for me to use this pulpit to share it from here. I don't think that's what this pulpit's for. It doesn't mean that you should not be involved in the political process. I believe all of you should, with God leading you. But I trust you take the things that you learn from here on Sunday morning through the scriptures and your own Bible studies, and you allow those to inform your prayerful decisions. I pray that you do that. And I trust that you will do that. I trust that you allow God to lead you as you get involved in, in politics and voting and all those kind of things. So if you didn't know, this church belongs to Jesus and our loyalty is to him. Amen? It's to him. Now let's talk about the bigger one today. The bigger one is, uh, I didn't know why... Bad things happen to good people. You ever think about that? I didn't know why bad things happen to good people. And this is one of the age-old questions. This is one of the things that has caused a lot of people to stumble and, and wonder, is God strong enough? Is God really knowing enough? Or if there's even a God, is there even a God? They have your Bibles, hopefully you have them at Genesis chapter 50. But I wonder how many of you grew up with that little prayer that you prayed before you ate. You remember that prayer is, God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. Amen. And then we dug in and ate. Remember saying that prayer? I mean, believe some of you. I mean, I did when I was a kid. God is great and God is good. We say that. And when you hear that, you think, what about the Holocaust? Where does that prayer fit in there? What about slavery? What about the, 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 the injustices that happen when innocent lives are taken by terrorists? What about when a drunk driver hits a young family and takes their lives or, or, or church bus or school bus and takes the lives of children? God is great, God is good. Or maybe more personal to many of us, if God is so great and God is so good, why did God allow the COVID-19 pandemic? 
Or why did he allow your marriage maybe to fail or not? it's not doing well? Or why did he allow you to lose your job or, or your children to walk out of here and never speak to you again? Or why does he allow that loved one to be sick or, or maybe even you would have cancer or something else in your life? See, some conclude that, that there is a God, but that God doesn't know everything that's going on in this world. He doesn't know you have cancer. He doesn't know everything going on in your life because if he did, he would do something about it, right? That's what many believe. Others conclude that God knows about it, but he's not strong enough to do something about it. Uh, there was a book that was written by Rabbi Harold Kushner. He wrote, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, and he says that God knows about it. He's all-knowing, but he's not all-powerful, therefore reducing God again. And so what is the, what is the answer? Is God all-knowing? Is he omniscient? Yes, he is. Is God all-powerful, omnipotent? Yes, he is. So he knows everything, and he has all power to do it. Then why does these things happen then? Why do they happen to us? See, this is a question that's been asked through biblical history. It started way back when Moses asked it, Jeremiah asked it, the prophets asked it, Job asked it, why bad things happen to good people. I want to share with you just a little simple phrase today, and you might want to write this down. It's not in your notes. God does all things for his glory and our good. Remember that. Whatever you're going through, God does all things for his glory and our good. Every time, that's the way he works. If you have Genesis 50, I want to give you a little background. We're going to go through 40, his, 40 years of history real quick here, real fast. And it all started in the book of Genesis, the earlier chapters, where God came to a man by Abraham and says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And then Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had many children. And one of his children he had was Joseph, and Joseph was the favorite. And as a result, he gave Joseph a robe of many colors, didn't he? And, and God gave Joseph dreams, and he gave him the ability to interpret those dreams. By the way, some people say that, you know, Joseph, they look at Joseph's life, and they say that he's a type of Christ. And they kind of sanitize his life. And because he's a type of Christ, and Jesus was perfect, so they say that Joseph must be perfect, right? When I look at Joseph's life, I don't look at Joseph like that. To be honest, when I read the book of Genesis about Joseph, I kind of look at part of his life when he was a young, young man, or even a teenager, he was like a spoiled brat, a little spoiled brat the way he lived. I mean, I could just look at him. He had those dreams that God had gave him, kind of flaunted him in front of his brothers, right? Hey, God gave me this dream. You guys are going to bow down one, one day to me. He also had that uh, robe of many colors that his father gave him. And I could just see him putting that coat on and strutting it in front of his brothers and showing off his coat, maybe even asking him, hey, look at what daddy gave me. Do you have one of these? No, look what I have. So much that his brothers hated him and wanted to kill him. And he was 17 years old when his brothers worked out their plan. They were going to take Joseph's life and they were going to kill him. And one of the brothers said, no, let's not do that. Let's throw him in this cistern, this dried up well. And so they drew, threw him in there and they said, we, we don't want to kill our dad because that would break our dad's heart. So what they decided to do, they were going to, this Midianite trading group came along. So they decided to sell him to them. And they took that robe of many colors and they killed the goat and took the goat's blood and put in that coat of many colors. Uh, and they took it to the father and says, uh, Joseph, our brother, must have been killed by a wild animal. Here's the robe and it's got blood all over it. So Joseph was taken by the trading group into Egypt, and he was sold to a man by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar was very influential into the world empire that time, in the Egyptian empire. And so Joseph is now working under the house by a by man by the name of Potiphar. And we know that Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, and Joseph resisted, and Potiphar's wife lied about it, and she raised some uh, terrible crime, about, but he suggested he committed some terrible crimes against her. 
So Joseph is taken in, put into prison. You've got to be saying to yourself, does this guy get a break? I mean, all the things that's happened to him. He's a young man, and once he was the favorite son, now he's in prison. And what has he done wrong to deserve prison? He hasn't done anything wrong. When in prison, God gave him the ability to interpret dreams, we see. And two guys, there was a cupbearer and a baker, if you remember. Both of them in Pharaoh's cult, they both had dreams, and Joseph was able to interpret their dreams. He shared the interpretation of the baker's dream. It, it was not good because he was going to be executed. And then he shared the interpretation of the cupbearer's dream, that he was going to be restored to Pharaoh's court. And you kind of see, get a glimpse of God's plan coming together that this, this cupbearer, once he was restored to Pharaoh's court, all he had to say was, Pharaoh, there's a guy in prison that shouldn't be there. He shouldn't be there. But we get a glimpse in, the, in a scripture, a verse that says, when the cupbearer was restored to power, he forgot about Joseph. So Joseph remains in prison for two more years. But the Bible tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. And that's such a key. The Lord was with Joseph and he continued to bless Joseph. Then the day came when Pharaoh had a dream. And he was upset because no one could interpret his dream. And the cupbearer said, I remember when I was in prison, there was a man in there that could interpret my dream. Maybe he can interpret your dream. So they brought Joseph out of a prison and asked him to interpret the dream. And he was able to interpret the dream of Pharaoh. And he told him, he says, there's going to be a, a famine that's going to come in the land. But preceding that famine, there's going to be seven years of plenty that's going to come. And through those seven years of plenty, before we're going to have the famine. So during those seven years of plenty, we've got to save grain and save food. So we're going to have food during that time. And Pharaoh heard that, and he thought that was a good plan. So he says, Joseph, you're the man. You're the man that's in charge. So Joseph becomes second in all of the Egyptian empire, the world empire at that time. But the Bible tells us the reason God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. That's why this was happening. In the seven years of plenty, they'd stored up in the storehouses all the extra grain. So they'd have it during the seven years of famine. And so when the seven years of famine came, people came from all around to get food, including those from Israel, including where his brothers lived and his father lived. And a very dramatic story, the brothers come down to Egypt to get food so the family could survive and could eat. And Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. And after several trips down to get food, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. And can you imagine? They're brothers who thought they would never see him again. They didn't even know if he was alive. And now you've done so much damage to Joseph, taken him from his father, and there's no way to make up those years. And now they find Joseph is alive, and he holds their life in his hands. He could do with, with him whatever he wants. He has that kind of power. What will Joseph do? Let me ask you, what would you do if someone did that to you? What would he do? Well, the Bible tells us that Joseph forgives them. He forgives them of everything they've done. And now 17 more years have passed, and the land of Israel and a lot of other people's lives have been saved, all because of jo Joseph's role in that. And Joseph is now 57 years old. 40 years have passed. And in these 40 years, Joseph has had plenty of opportunities to carry grudges. Plenty of opportunities to build the anger inside and bitter and hatred and all those kind of things. Because his life was turned upside down at the age of 17. He was taken from his family, taken from his country, and placed in another country. And when you look at Joseph, you find there's no anger. You find there's no grudges in this man when all this was done against him. And so at a 40-year dramatic story is what we have here is summarized in a paragraph. 
in a paragraph that this paragraph is shared with us, that God gives it to us and is very instructive for the challenge that we go through in our own lives. So if you have your outline, I want to give you three things to remember. And the first thing is this. Recognize evil and suffering exist because of sin. Recognize evil and suffering exist because of sin. The brothers understood it was their sin. They admitted it. They admitted it. Joseph had forgiven them, yet they thought Joseph's forgiveness was contingent on their father being alive. And once their father was dead, Joseph would have no reason but to take their lives, to take his vengeance out on them. That was the conversation that was happening here in this passage. So let's begin reading in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to them? It was 17 years they've carried this burden. 17 years. Hearing the words of Joseph, I forgive you, but they don't believe him. Believing it was contingent on their father being alive. And now that he's dead, he's going to take their lives. What happens? They couldn't forgive themselves. That's what it really was. They couldn't forgive themselves what they did to Joseph. Let's read verse 16 and 17. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to Joseph, Joseph wept. Why do you think Joseph wept? Why would you think he wept? Because his brothers never believed that Joseph truly forgave them. They didn't believe it was sincere forgiveness. And it broke Joseph's heart to th that they thought that. It was contingent. It was a contingent forgiveness. Condition. And it wasn't. Let's read verses 18 through 21. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to him. You know, we read in the scriptures that ultimately all evil goes back to the garden, to the sin in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. It all goes back to that time. And it's, it's reminded of that in, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 in the New Testament. It reiterates that. It says here that Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all have sinned, the Bible says. It goes all the way back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3. That's where evil and suffering come from because of sin happened there. And maybe you are enduring a lot of pain and suffering today. And maybe it's because of your own sin. Or maybe it's because of somebody else's sin that's happened to you. Or maybe it's because we just live in a sinful world and, and things happen. Tornadoes happen. Car accidents happen. Maybe not anybody's sin, but just because we live in a sinful world. But it all goes back to that day in the garden where sin happened in the garden. Because of that, evil and suffering exist in our world today because of that. Somebody could say, why did God allow this happen to me? You know, my, my family is kind of split up. We're all hurt. We're going in different directions. But the scenario was that somebody in the marriage was unfaithful to the marriage vows. And so they want to blame God. You can't blame God when we make mistakes. There's a consequence many times to what we do, right? And so there's this myth that we have to destroy here. We have to, we have to make right. That this myth is that if you're a follower of Jesus, that if you really love Jesus and you're really obeying Jesus, then nothing bad will ever happen to you. Have you ever heard that? Do you believe that? 
If you've lived this life at all, you know that's not true. Has anybody ever told you that bad things happen to good people? Do you believe that? We see that all through Scripture. I think of Job of the Old Testament. It's like the story of, of Joseph, that he lost everything that really mattered, Job did, right? I think of John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus. He, he was a relative of Jesus. He was a cousin. And he's paving the way for Jesus in the course of time. What happens? He's beheaded. He's beheaded for it. I think of the Apostle Paul, who's preaching the message and starting churches basically in Asia Minor and, and, and beyond. And, and, and of course, of starting those churches, the Bible tells us at one time he was beaten and he was stoned and he was left for dead for following Jesus. And ultimately, Paul loses his life for following Jesus, for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I look at the New Testament, I can't think of anybody that's more faithful to Jesus than the Apostle Paul. So this myth doesn't exist. We live in a broken world, and that perfect world is yet to come. And we're going to experience that one day in heaven, right? That God is going to right all the wrongs, and he's going to fix the broken. But we're not there yet. We live in a broken world. And because of sin, evil and suffering exist all around us. Because we live in a broken world today, and we can never expect it's going to get perfect here. Everything's going to be right here. It's not. That's heaven. That's what heaven's all about. The second thing we need to remember is choose to forgive. We have to choose to forgive. Let's go back to verse 17. When someone hurts us, we have to choose to forgive. Verse 17 says, this is what you say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of their servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Forgiveness is a choice. And this choice may begin a process of you being able to forgive. Starts that process of forgiving, right? And that could be long and prolonged because the sin that's been committed against you continues. So this decision is not a matter of time. It's not a matter of event. It's a process that must take place when we choose to forgive. And it may take a long, long time for that forgiveness to really happen, but it's a choice we have to make. It's got to begin with the choice, but I have to choose to forgive at some time. And it begins the process of forgiveness, but I have to make that choice. The story of Joseph in the Bible is a salvation story. It's the physical redemption of, of people with food. Uh, and, and because this one man, Joseph, he chose to forgive. And God gives us this beautiful picture that we have a choice. We can either carry grudges and hatred and bitterness towards people, or we can choose to forgive. We have a choice. Which one do you think God wants us to do? Forgive. He wants us to forgive. There's a passage in the Bible, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. Listen very carefully what he says here. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. And what he's saying here, he says, when, when an event happens, a crime has been committed, a sin has been committed, is what he's saying, and people are hurt. He's saying, if justice is not executed quickly, it leads the person who committed the crime think, thinks they can get away with it again. So they do it again, and again, and again, is what the Bible's saying. For us who are watching this all take place, we're saying they got away with murder. There's got to be justice, right? We want justice because we're seeing this happen. Solomon goes on in the next verse in, in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 12, and he says, Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God, is what he says. 
And so the brothers fully expected vengeance from, from Joseph, that our, de- our dad is dead. What's going to stop Joseph from taking our lives? And what does Joseph do? He weeps. And he says this, and it's really powerful. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God, he says. Am I in the place of God? Remember I shared two weeks ago that forgiveness is ours and justice is God's. Remember that two weeks ago? Hopefully some of you here remember that. We want to take the place of God and we want to execute justice, but that's not, our, that's not what we're supposed to do. Joseph reminds us that justice is God's part. It's ours to forgive. We don't wait till justice comes to forgive. It's ours to forgive. But I want to talk about this forgiveness many times. Because sometimes we say, you know, I'll forgive them if I see in their apology there's tears. And if they really mean it, if I know they really, really, really mean it, then I'll forgive them. What if there's no apology in their tears? Can you still forgive? What if there's no apology? Can you still forgive? It's our choice, the Bible says. We have to choose to forgive. And I want to suggest to you that we can forgive through the grace of God. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. Forgiveness is always difficult. Do you realize that? It's never easy to forgive. It's always difficult. But what I'm saying, when we choose not to forgive, when we hold on to that grudge, we lock ourselves in that prison of unforgiveness by continuing to carry those grudges in bitterness and anger. And we're not hurting the person who hurt us. We're allowing that person to continue to hurt us by staying in that prison and thinking and going over, over and over what they did to us and how they've hurt us and carrying that. And we allow ourselves to be in that prison of unforgiveness and we can't move forward because we've got stuck on that. And I know this can be very personal for some of you because you've been hurt in a dramatic way by maybe a former spouse or, or maybe a former boss or, or maybe it's a neighbor or a relative or your own children or maybe it's your parents. An apology will never bring innocence back. It can't. An apology will never restore the dramatically broken. It will never do that. But yet our choice is to forgive. That's what God calls us. We have to forgive. And the question is, will we do it? Will we forgive those who have hurt us? The pain that many of you have gone through, you're, you're expecting to find meaning to the pain, but you have to bring meaning to the pain. And the meaning comes through that relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. We have to trust him that justice is in God's hands, right? No matter how long it takes. We can't say, many times we say, when I see justice, then I'll forgive them. That's not the way it works. God says, I take justice. It's in my hands. You are to forgive. We don't wait for justice in order to forgive. We forgive. That's what he's called us to do. It, but it's, it, God is a God of justice, we have to remember. Not just for this life, but in the life to come. And there are times where we see in someone's life where they've done terrible rotten things, terrible things. And then they get older and sometime later they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we say that's not fair, that God would forgive them of all those terrible, rotten things that they did. They should have to pay for that. We have to leave that with God. We have to leave that with God. That's the place of God. We have to trust him with that. That's what we have to do. That's what he's saying here. That's what Joseph did. That's what Joseph did. We ask the question ourselves as Joseph did. Am I in the place of God? Are we? Are we in the place of God? No, we're not. We have to leave that with God. See, when we make a decision to forgive, it doesn't remove the scars from their hurts. It doesn't do that. But it removes the shackles of unforgiveness, and we're able to move forward and continue on our life. 
Until we forgive, we're not able to move forward. We're in that prison of this unforgiveness and reliving it over and over what the person did to us. But we have to forgive. It doesn't mean many times that relationship will be restored what it used to be. But we have to forgive is what he says. But the ability to forgive is supernatural. And we're not supernatural. But the God that we love and serve is supernatural. So God can work in our lives and give us the ability to forgive others. See, forgiveness of others happens not from our strength, but happens from the strength of God. He gives us the strength. It takes grace to forgive, right? It takes God's grace to help us to forgive, and it takes God's strength. It also takes grace to receive that forgiveness. Joseph's brothers didn't receive that grace. They didn't receive the forgiveness that Joseph was offering. I want to share one more thing with you. The third thing to remember is this. Allow God to shape you even when it hurts. Allow him to shape you even when it hurts. Joseph's focus was not on himself. It was on God's. It was on God. All on God. Let's go back to verse 20 and 21. Let's read that again. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This was in the plan of God. We have to understand it. God doesn't tempt anyone to evil with evil, but he allows it in his plan. He does. And God will take that and work it toward his glory is what we see what God does. This last sentence in verse 21 summarizes a man who was forgiven after 40 years. He's looking to bless his, his brothers and comfort them. He tells them, and he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Can you imagine that? After what they did to him, he's concerned about them. He reassures them and he speaks kindly. He wants to comfort them. It's going to be all right. I'm going to provide for you. You're going to be fine. I'm going to take care of you is what he says. See, Joseph didn't look at the situation through his brothers or his own pain. He looked at the situation through God's perspective. That's what Joseph said. And he says, God, you must have a plan for this. I don't understand this plan, but I'm going to trust you through this. And I'm going to trust you and serve you through it all, all that you're doing here. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, you know Romans 8, 28 very well, where it says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know that first. But I want you to notice what it, what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that all things are good. It doesn't say in that verse that all things are good. But it says God works for the good. In other words, they work together for good, he says, for those who love God who have been called according to his purpose. It goes on in verse 29, and he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined, be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's goal for us is not that we would have a problem-free life. That's not his goal. God's goal for us is that we become more like Jesus, that we would grow to become more like his Son, Jesus. That's God's goal. And we go through these difficulties many times. We may not see it all. We may not understand it all, but we have to trust God that God has a plan, right? We got to trust him. We don't know everything that's happening. We don't see it. We don't understand it. So these people that hurt us, what are we going to do? Are we going to trust God and forgive? Are we going to carry the grudges and bitterness and anger? Many of you know the story of Corey Tin Boone during the Nazi regime in Germany they were rounding up the Jews and you put him in concentration camps. Basically, what they were trying to do, exterminate an entire race. And Corrie Tin Boone hid Jews inside of her home. And finally, she was discovered. So she was thrown in the concentration camp along with her sister. 
And they were in these concentration camps and, and the guards would beat the men and the women and they starved them. And you've seen the pictures of, of, of them. They look like they just have skin on bones. You can almost see their bones right through their skin. They're so thin. Well, the war finally ended, but it wasn't before her sister had died in the concentration camp. And Corey Tin Boone, being a believer, began to travel and share her story of her own forgiveness for a regime who took the lives of so many people, including her sister. And one day she was speaking to a group and uh, she looked out at that group and she was talking about her journey to forgiveness. And she looked out and she saw the guard that was at that prison, Ravensbrook, the guard who supervised the death of her own sister. And she saw this and she said, she was flooded with emotion. She said, what is she gonna do? First, first time she's ever seen him. And she thought, maybe he doesn't know who I am. Maybe he doesn't know me. But right after she finished her talk, this man came up to her, this guard did, and he put out his hand to her. And he says, I just wanna let you know, I was one of the guards at that prison, at that prison that you were at. And he goes, at the end of the war, I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. And I've asked God to forgive me of all the terrible things that I've done. And Corey Ten Boone, she said she writes about that because he reached out his hand. He says, now I'm asking you, will you forgive me? And she was kind of stunned that he would do that. And she said that she was just frozen. She goes, in my heart, she goes, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? That's not going to bring back my sister. That's not going to take away all the hurt and the pain and the memories of all those things that happened there. Yet she said inside of her mind at the same time was her thought of the forgiveness that she received through Jesus at the cross. And she said, she writes, she says, I couldn't bring my arm out. Until finally, she said, she's standing there, and there was an electric shock that went through her shoulder and into her arm, and her arm just reached out and grabbed the man by the hand. And she says, because I realized that we're brother and sister in Christ, and that we've both been forgiven so much. Well, Corey Ten Boone later wrote a metaphor that was very helpful to many people, and she wrote a poem called The Weaving. And the metaphor is about a tapestry, about a rug that she, about a beautiful rug. And you pull up the rug and she said, you see the bottom side of the rug. And when you look at the bottom side, it's got all these colors, but it makes no sense. It has no patterns. It's not smooth. Things are tied off. But she said, that's what our life looks like. It looks just like that. It makes no sense. In that moment of time, in the midst of our pain, we don't see the upper side. We only see the downside is what she said. And it makes no sense to us. So she wrote this poem, and it's a beautiful poem, and I wanted to read it to you. It's Life is But the Weaving. You might want to look it up. And she says this, My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weave it steadily. Oftentimes he weaves sorrow, and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent, and the shuttle cease to fly, will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weevil's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best of those who leave the choice to him. It's a beautiful poem. When we forgive, innocence is not restored. Marriages are not super glued together. The pain has left its scars. But when we choose to forgive, perhaps in this lifetime, God will give us a glimpse of the other side. He will turn us over and see, wow, what a beautiful picture God is making in our lives. We don't understand it, but he'll let us see that, how a sovereign God can translate pain into purpose and a plan so that lives can be changed. All of it not good, 
But he makes it all work together for good, doesn't he? Only way that God can do it. And God does it in our lives. I can assure you, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you don't get an opportunity to see in your lifetime to see the tapestry, that the next life when we're Jesus, you will, that God, you have to trust God for that, that he's doing this in your life right now. Even though you don't get a chance to see it, that God is doing it. My hunch is everyone, and if you're an adult today, that uh, you probably have been hurt desperately by someone or something, something has hurt you. And our question is, can you forgive? Will you forgive? Yes, you can. You can make the choice by God's grace. You can forgive and move on. And we have to do that by God's grace. Choose to forgive and say, God, I'm asking for your grace. I'm asking for your strength and move on. Or maybe you're like Joseph's brothers. You're not willing to accept that grace or that forgiveness. And so you think that you're living out of this shadow for years now of this unforgiveness and you're living there. May I say, don't waste another moment. Life is too precious to live like that. Accept the grace and receive the grace that God offers to you. No matter what you've done, God chooses to forgive you of what it is. Accept that grace of God. Accept this forgiveness today. And if you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, today is the salvation. Now is the accepted time. That today is the day we accept Jesus Christ. We don't wait. That you understand that God loves you so much and wants to have a relationship with you. But because of our sin, we can't approach a holy, just God because he's holy, just, perfect, and righteous in all his ways, and we're not. So there's nothing we can do about it. So God sent his son from heaven. Jesus came down to this earth, and he went to the cross, and God placed all those things that separate us from God, all those sins, and he paid the price for us. So now you and I can approach a holy, just, perfect God through Jesus, but we have to accept what he did, and we do that by faith that we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. We come and say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and today I put my faith and trust in Jesus. You have to do that to receive God's forgiveness. It's through Jesus. My hunch is many of you here today have endured the pain, and you tried and tried and tried to forgive, but you still have those feelings. You still have those feelings, and there's still the grudges and all those things that are going on. May today be the day maybe you drive that stake in the ground. And today you say, Lord, I choose to forgive. I need your grace. I need your strength. That today's the day you say, I'm going to forgive and I'm going to move forward. I'm going to release from this shackles of this unforgiveness. I'm not going to allow that person, whatever it is, to hurt me anymore. And I'm going to be released and I'm going to finally be free from this so I can move on and live my life. That's what God wants us to do. That we might choose to forgive and be released from that prison so I can live. Not that that person, what they've done, didn't hurt me. They've done. They, it has. But I have to choose to forgive and leave the justice side to God. Say, God, it seems like they're going to get away with it. If I don't do something about it, God says, no, that's mine to take care of. Your part is to forgive. Leave all that other to God. God will take care of the rest. In this life or the next is what the Bible tells us. We have to leave that with God and we have to move over move on with her life, right? So we have to choose to forgive. So you can't say, I didn't know because now you know. Why bad things happen to good people and that you and I are to forgive, amen? We are to forgive. We have to choose to forgive no matter what it is. No matter what it is, amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you, Jesus. We praise you that you came and you died on the cross for us. And you forgave us of all the things that we did. 
And what we've done against you, God, is far, far, far greater than what anybody has done against us. For what we did against you, Lord, we have a lifetime of sin. A lifetime of sin and, and things that thoughts and motives and attitudes and actions and words that we've done against you over and over and over again. And you've chosen to, to forgive us through your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, we're thankful for the forgiveness we have. And because we're forgiven, Lord, we're able to forgive others what they've done against us. Not in our own strength, but by your grace and through your strength, we can forgive others because we've been forgiven of the great sins in our own lives, like Corey Tin Boone, that I'm able to forgive because I've been forgiven. And so, Lord, we look at why bad things happen. Some things, they happen just because that's part of life. We live in a broken world. And Lord, we stand up, we dust ourselves off, say, God, I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to release myself from this prison of unforgiveness and move on if we have not forgiven someone. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts and minds. If there's anyone that we're holding something against today, whoever it may be, their Lord, we forgive them right now. Drive that stake in the ground. It doesn't mean that relationships will all be restored back the way they were, but Lord, we have to live the life you called us to live, and we can't do it with an unforgiving heart. So help us, Lord, to be the people who forgive, who are like Jesus, forgive people of their greatest sins, their greatest hurts, and even though it hurts, Lord, we forgive them. Lord, this is something that's very difficult for us to do, very hard, because we've been hurt deeply, dramatically. So, Lord, we need your grace. We need your strength. We need your supernatural strength to do this. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless us and give it to each person here this morning, that they would realize, Lord, with, without you, Lord, it's, it's, it's impossible to forgive with you. Lord, you're our living hope, and we're able to forgive whatever anybody has done against us because, Lord, we've been forgiven. So, Lord, when those bad things happen to us, Lord, we don't point fingers, but we trust you, God, that you have a plan through it all. And it's like that tapestry, Lord. On the underside, it looks like a mess. Things take off, no patterns. It doesn't know what, make any sense. But, Lord, we don't see what you're weaving on the top side. And what you're weaving in our lives is something beautiful. We have to trust, with you, trust you with that. That, God, we come to you and we yield our hearts and minds to you today and say, God, we, we're going to trust you in our lives that you have a plan. We're going to forgive, and we're going to move on and continue to walk with you and serve you through it all. Lord, but we can only do it by your grace and your mercy. Lord, we ask for your blessings to be upon us. And Lord, we ask those who maybe have hurt people, that Lord, that they would receive that forgiveness from you and from others by your grace. And they would accept that forgiveness and they would be able to move on in their lives too. So we pray for them. And Lord, we leave all justice to you. In this life and the next, we leave it to you. That's to you. Ours is to forgive. Lord, we praise you and we thank you, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.